Well, uh, good morning again. Um, this morning, uh, I, we have another big kind of announcement to talk about. Uh, Trip and Jessica have uh, been loving and giving their lives to the starting of this church out of God's call for them for the last uh, eight and a half years. And really, if you count fundraising, like nine and a half, basically a decade of their lives. Uh, and so for a while now, the elders have been praying about uh, freeing uh, them up to take a sabbatical. Uh, sabbatical, yeah. Woo. We can all clap, yeah? Yeah, everyone clap, yeah. There we go. Uh, you can also say amen and stuff. Yeah. Uh, just even throughout, just like in general. Um, but, uh, and so we've been, we've been talking and praying about the right timing for that and stuff uh, for a while. And uh, we're going to send them on a sabbatical starting August 4th. Tripp will preach on August 4th, and then that'll be his last task for a while uh, until November 17th. Uh, that'll be able to run all the way through their 20th anniversary uh, of marriage, which is pretty great. Which Then you begin to realize they've given half of their married life to leading and loving this church as well, uh, even before it came into existence. So that's really beautiful. Um, and that time will be spent with them. They'll be here a lot. They'll also be uh, other places and traveling, being able to worship with other churches lo- locally, as well as other, other Soma churches, uh, spending time with extended family, also uh, made space in the budget to, to pay for uh, a trip or something where they can uh, meet with like a spiritual director or a counselor or somebody just to process the last 10 years and all that. And, and the whole goal of it is for them to be able to go from going 120 miles an hour now to slowing down over the course of about a month, uh, which will take a while, into uh, going just like the normal speed limit of, or maybe 35 miles an hour. And then as they come back uh, into like the responsibilities of leading and caring for the church uh, in November, they'll be able to come back at like... I don't know, 100 miles an hour, because that's who Trip is. So, uh, so net loss of 20 miles an hour. Anyway, uh, that's that's the whole vision for this. Uh, it's really exciting. Uh, it'll start in about a month, so we just wanted to let everyone get a heads up on that. Um, Jared and I will be uh, eldering, and we'll also love anybody else. There's other things that Trip does. If you uh, have noticed those things and want to help during that season, that'd be awesome as well. It's a really great time for us to love and serve one another and even see other gifts rise to the surface. It's also um, a really amazing time for us to proactively love the people that love us so regularly uh, just by uh, allowing them to lead us in what it looks like to, to rest and reflect on who God is and what God has done and his faithfulness. So that's what we're going to be doing in the fall. That'll be a big part of it. So that's, do you have anything to add to that? Nothing to add. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we'll um, we'll jump into what uh, we believe God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you that um, you love us, that you um, are for us. Father, we thank you that you give us your Spirit uh, to teach us the depths of you. Father, we pray this morning that your Spirit would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would convict us, that you uh, would equip us to be your church in the city. Father, we pray that for other churches in the city as well, that you would uh, equip them and that you would equip your people 
um, to love you well and to love others well. And so, Father, we thank you uh, for these things and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you missed it last week, uh, we started a, a new series we're calling A Disciple-Making Life, if you haven't figured that out behind us yet. Um, that's usually, there's a little slide for every series we have, so if you haven't figured that out, you probably need to wake up. Um, but throughout the summer, uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to live the life of a disciple, um, which really is Jesus' calling for his people, his followers, uh, his church, until he returns. And so each week we'll be, we'll be taking... Um, another layer of what it means to really walk out uh, in his image and to see others and to lead others, uh, to see the Father. And so last week I talked about um, God's story that we found in the Bible and how if we don't ground ourselves in God's story, if we don't continually go back to his story over and over and over again, um, what happens is instead of making disciples of God, we're going to make disciples of of ourselves or the world around us, and we'll truly disciple people in a broken culture, and we'll serve and live our life based on a lesser story rather than on God's great story. So today, um, we're going to expand on that, and we're going to talk about the gospel. Now, if you've been in Christian circles for very long or at any time, you've probably experienced or heard the word gospel used before, probably really mainly in its simplest form. Um, when I was a kid, um, I grew up in the church. Um, my family was always in church. I was probably conceived in church. I don't know. Like it, I was there. Anytime the doors were open, like I was there. Like It was a big part of our family. Um, and I spent much of my life hearing the term gospel. And what it meant to me was that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died and then he rose again to take away my sins. And if I believed that and I said a prayer, um, as long as I said that prayer, and, and I said it and I really meant it, I just didn't like say it, I meant it, then I would get to go to heaven when I died. And really, not much else mattered too much besides that. If, if I followed some, some new rules, I would be considered a good Christian, um, but if I didn't, then I would just be called a bad Christian. Um, but either way, because I said that prayer and made that commitment and believed it, I would be okay in the end. And the gospel really, in many ways, was reduced to really a simple form of really of God just accepting you. And that's really kind of, I think, oftentimes what we think about when we think about the gospel as, as God's people. Um, one of the things in my life, I've had the privilege to travel to many places and many countries, and I've, and I've lived in various parts of this country, and I've been all around this country. There's two states I haven't hit yet. Maybe I should do that on my sabbatical. I don't know. Um, but what I've seen, and even here in this city, in this culture, is that everyone has a gospel, some idea of how they're going to be accepted by God into heaven, whatever their God may be. And so as I was thinking about that this morning, I thought about what's a question that, that maybe we can just kind of openly dialogue about and think about a little bit. What are some gospels of our culture that you've seen or heard or experienced or observed of ways that people think that will make them right, that the, in, the, in the end, everything will be good and they'll be allowed to like be in heaven forever, whatever their heaven may be. What are some, what are some gospels you've experienced in this culture? Do more good things than bad things. Yeah, if I just tilt the scale, if I'm a good person, I'll be all right. Okay, what else? Working to guilt. Okay, yeah, if I just work harder, it'll get rid of the guilt that I feel for these things. 
Yeah, good. What else? Okay, yeah, if I, if, I, if, I give, if I give money to charity, if I do some nice things for charity, if I do these things, then that makes me a good person, I'll be acceptable. Yeah, good. What else? If I think hard enough, long enough, I'll find the journey to self-discovery, and that will unlock inner peace. Yeah, if I just find it within myself and I can figure that out, then it's going to unlock inner peace. Yeah, good, that's a big one. I can find the gospel inside of me. Yeah, if I follow the list of these rules, then this will I will achieve this. Good. Yeah, what else? I think right now there's a lot of shift towards the justice side of that. So if I can find the right person who needs to be punished for their their actions, then eventually we'll we'll get rid of all those people and the world will be a better place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good. Good. I think as you think about all of these Gospels, and as you can put, we could go on, but I think um, they may sound a little bit different. They may have a, a different starting point. Um, they may have a different like philosopher or holy man that they, that they follow or a different list of rules, um, but they all come back to some way to make you right before God so that he will accept you. And so as we talk about the Gospel this morning, as we talk about the Gospel, hopefully every time we are up here, or anyone is up here, hopefully every week we talk about that, please don't hear that's what we're saying. When we talk about the Gospel, we want to say that it's, it's something that's way greater than, than something just to cover up your mistakes so you can spend eternity with God. The Gospel that we're going to talk about, and that hopefully we talk about all the time, is, is really this, this constant, unchanging reality of who God is. It's the gold standard, if you want to say it that way. It's, it's the reality um, that calls us back to the truth of God that should shape us on a very normative, everyday level. Um, Martin Luther um, is one of kind of the founding fathers of, uh, of theology in some ways, you could say it that way. And, and he says this, he says this, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. We need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. Now, why would we need to hear it if it was just a one-time transaction that we're waiting to experience the reality of? Luther says it this way because he understood that the gospel is far greater than, than just a future reality, but actually the gospel is a power that gives us life right in the now, right in the everyday stuff of life. The gospel affects those things. 1 Corinthians talks about the gospel in, in chapter 1, verse 18, and describes it this way. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And so Paul here is quoting from Isaiah, and he's reminding us that the gospel is how we ch- the gospel changes how we understand and how we live life. And that's going to look different than the gospel and the wisdom of our culture and the gospels that we just spun out a few minutes ago. It's this idea that we really need to be grounded in the gospel because what we believe actually really does matter. Because everything you do and I do in life displays in that moment what we are believing. And this is true for every person that walks on this planet. You see, Luther is not the only theologian around. 
you and I and everyone that walks this planet is actually a theologian. Everyone has a view of God that shapes their whole life and how they live. And we're always working out our theology and how we live. And so the reality is, is either we're going to be gospel theologians or we're going to be bad theologians. Right? We're, if it, even as a church, if, if the gospel doesn't affect everything that we do, we're going to become the definition of hypocrites that everyone thinks the church is anyway. Really believing something that we don't live out, or maybe, um, maybe that's really even evidence that we never believed it in the first place. So we're going to talk about this gospel, and Brad's going to, going to start speaking to you a little bit about how the gospel is multifaceted. Yeah, I think that's everything you said is so true, and that, the, that what Jesus is doing and what Jesus has done is so much broader and more powerful, more purposeful than we often ever imagine. I think that we uh, really regularly might grab onto just one aspect of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and make that the whole thing. So even when we look at, at what Jesus has done, we say, oh, there's just this one thing, we just grab a hold of it. For example, you might have heard and lashed on to the, the reality and the really good news of the gospel that Jesus' death is for your sins and in your place, and that's amazing, true news. But if we say that's all that Jesus has done, uh, it's kind of like when we if you ever uh, go up to the Getty, you know, and you wait in line, and you go up the trolley thing. Uh, I don't know how it's powered. I guess it's weighted. But you go up to the top, and you go into just one of the exhibits, and you stare at one painting, and you really, like, sit down, and you, you explore that one painting all day, and then you go home, or you get on your phone, and you Instagram, and it's like, I've seen, and I understand all of art. I get it. I know all art. I spent the day, I looked at one painting, it was really good, and I'm good. I know art. Or uh, another way you could do this, all local, uh, if you go up to the Griffith Observatory, you get to sit in one of those uh, lines and get to look into the telescope and you see one uh, star. And you stare at it and you d- ignore the like, time limits, constraints, and you just keep looking at the star. And then afterwards, you get in your car, you drive home, and you say, I understand space, the universe. I looked at one star, and I get it. Uh, That's often what happens whenever we just look at one aspect of the gospel, uh, and we sort of make our whole lives, our whole theologies on just one aspect of the truth about who Jesus is. Uh, But the gospel is more. Uh, The gospel applies to more of our lives than we could ever imagine. Uh, The good news of Jesus is like a brilliant diamond where we could spend our lifetimes just turning it and looking at all these different sides and all of its brilliance, all of its beauty, and it would transform us as we explore every aspect of the gospel. Uh, The gospel is the message about God. Uh, It's the good news about Jesus, Uh, that Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, has defeated uh, sin, death, and evil, and he's making all things new, even us, Uh, The gospel is also uh, the message about who God is, what God is like. Uh, The gospel answers that big question. Uh, That's one aspect of the diamond. Who is God and what is his character? The gospel is also about what God is doing. What is he up to? What has he done? What will he do? That's a big piece of, of what the gospel is. 
It's also, the gospel is also the good news about who he's creating us to be or who he's recreating us to be uh, as, as he does this. Uh, and then lastly, the gospel is about how he's using humans to transform and make the whole world new. Uh, and so this morning we want to really dive into, uh, I know that I just said there's so many facets of the gospel. We just want to look at these two big broad categories of the gospel, that the gospel is the power of God to save, uh, as Romans 1.16 says, but then the gospel is also the purpose uh, of God to restore all things. Uh, and so we're going to talk in, about those first, those big two categories uh, as it kind of shapes the life of our church. Uh, we'll start with the power of the gospel. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that kind of leads to like having this uh, missing the reality of the multifaceted diamond of the gospel is us settling for, or, or a reduced version really, is, is how we approach or read uh, God's story in the Bible. And I think there's, there's multiple ways to read it that we, we talk about it this way, so kind of to think about it is, is we can read the, the Bible across the green. We can read it in a way that's, that's thematic, um, which is where we, we look at the scriptures and we read it and we pick out major themes of the gospel that we see in the scripture. It's where we get thematic or systematic theology. You can also read it um, with the grain as a story. We talked about that last week where you can read it in the story of, of God's redemptive history, redemptive plan. And as you, if you read it that way, then you get biblical theology. We want to say that both are actually necessary and each lead to a different way of seeing the gospel. It takes both perspectives to fully understand and to fully engage in the gospel. Um, and so I'm going to talk about this first one um, thematically and systematically. If we read the Bible that way, there's going to be a few themes that stand out. Um, God, sin, faith, and Jesus, right? Jesus before faith, right? Um, so as we think about those, if those, those are really the four major themes if you read the Bible thematically and you think about the gospel. What are some ways you see, or what are some things you see about who God is in the Bible? Who's God in the Bible? The creator? Okay, good. What else? The authority. He's the authority. Okay, good. What else? He's the source of all life. Okay, he's the source of life. He controls death. Okay, he's a giver and taker of life. Okay, good. What else? He's merciful. Okay. Is the resolution okay? He brings judgment. What are you saying? There's somebody else. There was two people. He's patient. Okay, yeah, he's patient and kind. Yeah, good. What else? He's forgiving. Okay, good. Yeah. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous, he's all-powerful, he's eternal, he's the creator of all things. Um, he's the ultimate being, right? So we see that in Scripture. We see there's so many facets of who God is, and we can just spend our time thinking about who he is over and over and over again. How about this, the theme of sin? What do we see about that in the Bible? Rampant. Rampant? Okay, yeah. It's everywhere. It deserves punishment. Yeah, all humanity has chosen their own rule. 
to submit to themselves rather than to submit to God. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, it's a forsaking of our true identity to walk in some other identity, isn't it? Yeah, good. Yeah. It's something where, where, where we have this relationship with God and it's broken because of our own um, wanting, our own pride to be in charge. And the penalty for that sin we see in the Bible is death, right? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? And so we have that theme of this is who God is. He's holy and just and perfect. And then we have this idea. We see man as sinful and broken. What about Jesus? What has Jesus done in the Bible? Who was he? He's the Savior. Okay, he sacrificed his life. Okay, he died as a, as a penalty, as a substitute for human sins. Good. He's alive. Okay, yeah, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He's God's perfect son. He's actually part of the Godhead. Okay, he's the promised one. After man broke relationship with God, God promised to fix it, and he's the one, he's the promised Messiah. Yeah, good. What else? He's the human representative of God, or the human expression of God. Yeah, he, he came and took on the form of man, and he represented us, represented us, yeah, before God. Yeah, good. What else? He heals. He heals and he offers his righteousness for our unrighteousness, right? He's both the righteous one who took our penalty and he's the one who actually gives us life. First Peter 1 says it this way. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish, or can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, the good news of Jesus is that, that what he's done now can be transferred to broken humans, right? Which is where we finally get that other theme of faith, right? Which Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So faith in what Jesus did, not by any effort or merit of our own, we are saved from our sins. And so when we read the Bible thematically, the gospel becomes God, sin, Jesus, faith, not works. It's where we get the four spiritual laws. And I was taught that as a kid. I grew up knowing that. So maybe you were taught that as the gospel. It's how many of us learned how to share the gospel, how we were taught to share it. And it's very important to know these themes and know the Bible this way. You see, when we understand the gospel this way, in these terms, then the good news is really that God is completely aware of your and my sin problem. And through the work of Jesus, he accepts us. And through the power of your spirit, he changes us. It's, it's, our, it's our justification that leads to our sanctification, if you want to say it that way. That, our, that, our, that we've been saved from the penalty of sin and that we're being saved from the power of sin, which is our sanctification, and that we will be saved from the presence of sin, which is glorification. Right? It's what Paul says in Philippians 2, 
uh, 12 and 13, he says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, what Paul is saying here is that the gospel is not just the starting point. The gospel is the ongoing power for salvation. You don't start becoming good so that God will accept you because you're becoming something. No, he accepts you when you were broken so that you can become something, that you've been justified and that leads to a changed life, leads to a sanctified life. The term that we, that we want to use for this is this is the gospel power, the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes, that this is an open invitation for all people, and that the salvation in, in a biblical sense is, is not just a past experience. If you look at throughout Scripture, what you'll see is that salvation has three tenses, that you have been saved, you're being saved, and that you will be saved. It's something that happened, something that is happening, and that's something that will happen. And all three need to be understood and can't be broken up or can't be split up. If we split them up, then our theology is going to be, is going to be worked out incorrectly in how we live. And so one of the things that we have been is saying and understand is that, that we've been saved by, from God's righteous wrath. That two, that you're being saved from your sin, that's being worked out, you're being transformed every day by the gospel as you're daily dying to flesh, as you're daily dying to living in a different identity into the identity that God has saved you to. And that ultimately, that we're going to be saved from the brokenness and sin and death in this world. That there will come a day when Jesus will return and we will pass and we'll receive a body where we'll no longer fight against the sin that we fight in every day. And all three of these are true, and all three of these are the work of God, not the work of us. That God is the one who's actually working. That's the power of the gospel, that you don't have to work hard to do it. Christ is the power of the gospel working in and through you and me to make us who he desires to be. But the good news is that there's more than just the power of the gospel. There's actually a purpose that it gives us. Yeah, and I think that the the purpose of, of all that uh, is important to, to describe. I think um, everything that, that Tripp just shared is so true, and it's rich theology, that, um, that the world is completely polluted and corrupted by sin, and that our own, every relationship we ever interact with, from the time we were born until now, is completely uh, perverted through sin. Like, that's just the way we operate. Uh, and the brokenness and the shame and the guilt and the wounds that that all uh, brings into the world, and even into our tiny little lives, uh, need saving just so clearly, just so transparently. Uh, we need a salvation to come. Uh, we desperately need it. I need it for my own life, and that transforms how I look at uh, my community, at my family, at my life, uh, that, that I'm in need of God's power to save. Uh, not just God's good wishes, or not just God's um, good intentions, but his actual power to save me and to save this world. Uh, not just 2,000 years ago, but even now and in the future to come. Uh, I think that that's, that's so rich and that's so true, and I hope we all really get that. Um, also, though, I think uh, it can become a dead end for us. So back in the day when they were building wonderful suburbs, uh, including 
places like Culver City. Culver City has dozens of these cul-de-sacs. Uh, cul-de-sacs are brilliant designs. It's like the epitome of the American dream, I think. Uh, you have this dead-end street that becomes a circle, and you can have your own community there. And, and if you were anyone here raised on a cul-de-sac, look at you. Your parents were so good, right? Your parents said, you know what? Let's give our children the safest possible thing we could ever give them. And let's put ourselves on a dead-end street. There's not going to be any fast cars driving through here. We'll have a huge backyard, uh, especially if you're at the very end of the cul-de-sac. You have a massive backyard because it opens like that. Uh, and your parents said, this is going to be great. We're going to get to one of our neighbors. You can even shoot off fireworks in the very middle of it and play roller hockey and like whatever it is with that nice uh, slab of asphalt that you're going to get. That's the cul-de-sac. That's the American dream. I think often we imagine the gospel to be that same thing. That what, what Jesus has done is he saved us from this wretchedness of this world, and he's saving us from sin, and he's plopping us in this cul-de-sac that's going to be safe and cozy and warm. And even the, the church's job is to be a little nice, cozy place at the end where you can have potlucks and parties with just the safe people, right? That's... That's what the gospel is all about. Uh, but the gospel is not a cul-de-sac. Uh, the gospel is not a dead-end street that ends on you. Uh, the, the whole p- purpose of Jesus' life and des- resurrection is not even about you. Uh, as uh, shocking as that might be to our system, uh, the gospel is actually a highway running through you into the entire world. Uh, the gospel has a purpose beyond just your salvation, though it includes that, and it's wonderful, and it's completely necessary, but it's just so much bigger through that. Uh, Paul describes this well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, as he describes how the gospel makes us completely new people with a whole new reality that we live in. Uh, He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, right there in verse 18, you see that uh, it's all from God. He reconciled us to himself. That's the power of the gospel. But then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Going on, he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The the purpose of the gospel is the good news that God has sent his son to redeem and restore the entire world and create a whole new humanity, a humanity that's free from the power and the presence of sin, that would, that would live a displayed life in the power of the resurrection, that, that what rose Jesus from the dead would animate our entire lives. And eventually the whole world would be made new. So, so God and the gospel is not a story of a ship sinking And Jesus throws some people some lifeboats to get sailed away. The story of the gospel is God remaking the entire ship so that that it will never sink again, but will be full in what it was always intended to be. And this is what brings God uh, the most glory. 
It's what displays his character the most. That he created a world and didn't abandon it for just a few, but committed his entire purpose and will and life to seeing it restored and made new, uh, free from the, from the curse of sin, but like alive to what God had always intended. And that has a huge impact on us, uh, that the whole world will be renewed one day, that all death and decay and injustice and suffering will all be removed. Uh, God is saving a people and sending a people, uh, and that's, that's part of the gospel. Uh, Nancy Piercy, uh, I don't know if you've ever read her or ever heard of her, but she's like the smartest, so you should read her. Uh, she wrote a book called Total Truth. Uh, have you read it, Ryan? Oh my gosh, it's an audible book. You should read it. Uh, she's fantastic. Um, she's a professor. Uh, she, she described this reality, what we're describing today. She said it this way. Redemption is not just about being saved from the consequences of sin. It is, also be about, it is also about being saved to something, to resume the task for which we were originally created. And what is that task? In Genesis, God gives what we might call the first job description. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What she's saying is that Uh, The gospel, this redemption of God, doesn't just save us from sin, but it saves us to something. And it actually saves us to the whole initial new, like the the initial job that we were all given in this world. Uh, She goes on to describe that being fruitful and multiplying means that we develop the social world, that we build families, we build churches, we build cities, we build up uh, laws and governments, like we contribute to to the thriving of a society. And then she describes that the second phrase there, subdue the earth, means that we harness the natural world, that we plant crops, that we build bridges, we establish farms, we design things, we create music, we uh, design computers, and she goes on and on and on again. But this is the, the purpose of the gospel would be to see the whole kingdom of God established on earth as it is in heaven. The church, uh, to summarize this, Uh, has been saved by God's work, what he's done, but we're also saved for God's work, uh, that that the gospel would move through us. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says, uh, we are his masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them. Uh, that's the, the purpose of the gospel. We weren't just saved by faith alone, uh, not from our works, but that, that God has now created us as, as a masterpiece. And he's created us in Christ for good things that we would walk in those things now. Um, uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, one of the founding leaders of this whole Soma family of churches, uh, says it this way. He says, the gospel is not just about my individual happiness. Or God's plan for my life. It's about God's plan for the world. This is, this is what the gospel is all about. It's so much bigger than we could ever imagine, I think. And this has huge implications on how we live as a church. That it's both the power of God to save us from sin, but also the purpose of God to restore the entire world. Yeah, it's such good news that it doesn't end that we don't live on a cul-de-sac anymore. We're actually part of a purpose of God in restoring and redeeming this world. 
I don't know about you, but that's good news to me because I, if I live on a cul-de-sac, which I did for a little bit, um, it was great being there. But like, you want to get out and you want to be a part of something bigger. It's it's bigger than you or me, and so that's why both of these pieces really need to be intertwined and and can't be separated. Because what happens if we just focus on the, the gospel power, but we don't know the gospel purpose, what will happen is we'll tend towards a gospel that is, that is um, it's all about just saving individuals, but we'll miss the mission of God. And it's about conversional or, or moralistic gospel. The gospel will just be an event. It won't be something that's, that's powerful for the everyday. If we just focus on, on the purpose, but we miss the power of God, the God to, to do the work through Jesus to save us, then what's going to happen as a people will just tend towards, towards good works or, or acts of service without the power of God. And then the, it's going to be up to us to change the world. It'll be up to us to redeem and restore. And we'll become more significant and more acceptable by the more that we do. I would love to just run in that because I'm a doer. And the more I do, I would, I would be more, more acceptable. But when that happens, then the case of that, the mission of God um, becomes dependent on me and the gospel work is really about me, not about God's work. And the story is not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. That's what the gospel is all about. I think a helpful way to think about this is, is to think about the four gospel questions. This is a little grid work that we use here. Um, sometimes you can put it up there. Um, think about the gospel in these terms. Who is God? We kind of talked about that a little bit. What has he done? That's who Jesus is. Those are really the gospel power, who God is and what he's done. The second two set of those questions really is who am I or who are we as a, as a body and how, how do I live and how do we live? That's really the gospel purpose. We really need both of those to understand the fullness of the gospel. So I want to think about this collectively and just kind of ask some questions. If, if this is what we're called to as a people, and this is what we're called to desire pe- to disciple people in as a family, um, usually what happens is churches define themselves by one or the other. So I want to talk about that a little bit. What happens as a church if, if, you, if you only do one of these but not the other? What, what, do, what would a church look like if, if you focused or you're only defined by what God has done, not also what he's saved her to do? What, what would that church look like? What do you think? More knowledge based and just um, involved in reading and studying and learning. Okay, so a lot of information about God, but no, no life change. Yeah, good. What else? Could be very insular. Insular? Yeah, good. Yeah. What else? Yeah, there's a lot of looking down from there, isn't there? Yeah, good. What else? It also function very materialistically. Like, there'd be more, like, you know, buckets of to take money being passed around. There'd be more, you know, looking at, you know, statistics on how well the church is doing financially or, you know. Okay. But there's this arrogance like, I found it, you 
Yeah, I think in, in the greatest extremes of these things, which we're kind of talking about right now, is, is the church will be primarily a confessional people, but not an obedient people. Right? They'll, they'll know what God's commands are and, and who he is, but they never display or talk about it with many other people. Um, what about the other side? What if a church is focused only and defined by what she does, but not who she is in Christ? What does that church look like? Okay, good. I would say also, like, competitive, like, comparing your words to, like, the other people in the church body, like, oh, I did more than you, and that makes me more than you. Okay, yeah. yeah. Can I jump in? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I think what's interesting about both of those, like, it can be all workspace or very competitive. I think uh, often... I, just, you know, as one of the elders, I think in our church, whenever we describe that, like someone who's like just workspace or rule-based or competitive, we're kind of imagining uh, some sort of like scarlet letter Puritan person somewhere way over there, like rigid fundamentalist. And like, they're the ones that are all workspace. Thank God we're not like that anymore. But the reality is, is uh, like Los Angeles is one of the most legalistic places I've ever lived. It's, in, it's entrenched in fundamentalism. Like, we, we just really are. Uh, we could say, oh, we're not like those people anymore. Now our works are all, you know, how many barbecues did you have? How many things did you recycle? How few animals did you eat? Like, how, you know, how did you vote? Did you, how did you, you know, participate? How much did you watch this certain thing? How much did you, you know, like, give away of the Avengers Endgame? Like, there's, there's so many rules that we have, and we can... I think we often imagine, oh, those fundamentalists, thank God we're not those people. But I think it's, it's very possible for it to be us as well. Yeah. yeah. We can fall into either one of these categories very easily. And the goal is not to look at and say, oh, they're worse or these are worse. But the goal is really just ask this question. What does the church look like when you live out both of them? What do you think that church looks like? Yeah, good. What else? That's a church that's attractive, I think, to other people. They see these are people that are living out their purpose. That's an attractive church that actually, people said, they, they actually live out what they believe. I may not believe what they believe, but, but I, I, I respect them for, for living that out. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, it looks like loving each other and loving those outside of this family. Yeah. The church would function more so to serve God as opposed to its ego and status as a church. Mm. Yeah. Wouldn't be about us, it'd be about him. Yeah, good. I think it would be a church where good theology is applied to every aspect of your life and affects every thought and every way that you approach life. Yeah. For sure, it has to be founded in good theology or else we're just going to like walk around doing all kinds of things. And so it's actually that good theology applied, so it's practical theology. Yeah, good. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of worshiping, a lot of talking about 
Yeah. A lot of talking about Jesus and not about us and what we've done. Yeah. Yeah. It would be joy and less burden. All right? It's a joyful life, an abundant life. Yeah. We could be inefficient in the best possible way. Like, we wouldn't just be moving forward with the prescribed way society would say that would be doing well, but we would be following gospel priorities instead. Yeah. It would look different than what our culture probably would say is of success at times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It would still be offensive. It would still be offensive. Yeah. We haven't talked about that much today, but the gospel is offensive. Like, we, we don't want our pride and our sin to be exposed. And the gospel exposes that because Jesus is so much holier than we are. And we don't like that. And people don't like that who, who we would share that with. It's offensive. Yeah, it's offensive to our hearts. Yeah. It would look a lot more like what we see in the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. I remind us, our, our goal is not to convert people to our church, right? Our goal is to see them be converted and discipled through Jesus so they can be the church. We talk about that, that, that we, we want to be the church on mission that truly demonstrates and declares Jesus in all of life. That's really what this life of disciple-making is about that we as a church would, would think about and, and ask the questions, not, not what works best, but what's the best way to disciple people so they can fulfill the mission of Jesus who would actually believe and live out the gospel in everyday life. So we, we need to think about that as a church, that, 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 we, would, that we would be that type of, of church, but we also need to think about that individually. Like, is your life built on cultural reasoning or is your life built on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus? Are you declaring that gospel to other people? If you're declaring it, is your life demonstrating that? Do you believe that but never live it or declare it? Are you living a life in the power of the gospel that actually looks like a changed life? We need to ask ourselves those questions, and we need to continue to ask ourselves those questions as a church, that what we believe, are we displaying what we believe about what we declare and both need to happen. It's really how Jesus lived his life, right? He was the fullness of the gospel, and he both declared it with his mouth, and he, and he fulfilled it in his life. Now, we, we don't replace Jesus. We're not the fulfillment of, of the gospel now, but, but his kingdom um, we get to demonstrate by how we live and what we say and what we believe. Um, and the truth is that, that as a gospel, um, 
We will never be defined by what we do. We're always going to be defined by what Jesus has done in the person of Jesus. Um, and we need to be motivated by that to have a different life and that would look like we just described. Yeah, and so for, for us as a church, I think, uh, yeah, Tripp and I just did a, a pretty decent job articulating the gospel in different ways. Um, <laughs> and I think it could be easy to say, man, you know, like, we're so good. Like, figure this thing out. Like, we figured out the gospel. Uh, um, or we could say as a church, thank, thank goodness, like, we're, we're in a church that does the full diamond, you know? We, we're out of the cul-de-sac. We can take all sorts of languages or terms away from this. Uh, but the reality is, is um, like, maturity in Christ is actually growing in our awareness of how much bigger the gospel is than we could understand and how much bigger our need for the gospel is than we could ever understand. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, like St. Paul's Basilica, built for him, right? Like, or the God, but it's named after him, uh, in Rome, like the largest cathedral in the world. But this is how he describes himself through his life. Like in the beginning, his first letters, like historically, he's saying, hey, I'm an apostle just like these other people. I'm really good. Like, listen to my story. Uh, and then he begins to say, like, I'm a, I'm a bondservant, you know? And then he begins to just say, I'm a person. Like some of his letters, towards the end, he just says, Paul. And then he starts writing. And then he also then begins to say, chief among sinners. One amongst the church. Like in need of grace. And that's, that's the mature life that we have before us. And so I know some of us today might be thinking, like, uh, when, you, when you imagine who Jesus is and what he's done and all of these different terms... Some of us might come to it with like a little bit of pride and say, um, I didn't know the world was that bad. I didn't know I was that bad. Um, I didn't know that there was that much corruption in me. Um, I didn't know I had this, this role in destroying the world through sin. And I didn't know that God's power was necessary for me to be saved and redeemed and restored. And for you, uh, the good news is, is that you are worse than you think. Um, but also, God's acceptance and love is far greater than you think, too. Mm-hmm. And it's far greater than just uh, a, an affirmation in language. It's an affirmation of his life, uh, body, blood, given for you, resurrection from the dead, And that's the affirmation that he has for you that's so much greater than how bad you might think uh, you are or aren't. And then others of you, you come in and you're so super fully aware that you're really uh, messed up. Uh, But in that, uh, Jesus and your life has more purpose and has more potential for glory than you ever thought as well. Some of us come in on Sundays and we've... throughout our lives, and we just think, I am so awful and terrible. How could anyone ever love me? And to that, the gospel is like the good news of like, no, no, not only are you loved and affirmed, you've been given a whole new identity that God is completely pleased with, and your life has a greater purpose than you could ever imagine. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, after gospel proclamations, uh, the very end is, repent 
and believe this. Uh, repent, uh, change your mind, change your life. Uh, Nancy Piercy also has a really good quote on that, but I won't repeat it. Uh, but to c- change all of your volition and will towards God and believe, to behold him and behold Jesus as the most beautiful, the most purposeful. And that is the Christian life ongoing forever. That we would be, that we as a church, Salma, would be a people that are regularly repenting and believing the gospel, turning from all these other things and turning towards Jesus and beholding him as the full uh, expression of love and mercy and grace. And so I invite us to, to really uh, take uh, that seriously this morning and, and even uh, for your thousandth time, uh, repent and believe, or for the very first time, repent and believe in Jesus. Um, all are done in the same way. Uh, and I also uh, want to invite us to the table for communion, that we would go into these tables in the back and take the bread or gluten-free cracker uh, and the wine or juice, uh, and that we, would, uh, that we would take and that we would eat uh, the, the full picture of, of God's power and his purpose for not only our lives, but for the world uh, to save and restore. And so I'm going to pray for us now, and we can, we can go, go to communion. Uh, Jesus, we, we thank you for this good news that, um, yeah, it really feels like we might have just uh, stared at a couple paintings today to see how great the news is about you. Uh, but I pray that, that our hearts and our minds would be continually... Uh, curious and explore just the riches of your work and your mercy, uh, that we would uh, come now to this table full of repentance, but also full of faith and full of belief uh, about who you are, um, that we would be a people that understands completely and fully that we don't have the world or even our lives figured out, but we worship the one who does, and that that's what we would do as we take and we eat and um, yeah, I'm just reminded of John 3.16, which sounds so mundane, but you so love the world, God, that you gave your only son, that whoever believes would not die, but have eternal, full, abundant life. So I pray that for our church today. I pray that for this world that you fully love so much. Thank you, Jesus, for being uh, the greatest. In your name we pray. Amen.